Hello and welcome to Acting Up, a podcast that dives deep into the world of TV and film that highlights our people, our culture, and our stories. I'm your host, Courtney Wills, Entertainment Director at The Grio, and this week we're speaking to Shalita Grant. So it's almost Halloween, and to be honest, I haven't been terribly impressed with many of the new horror offerings this year, but one show that fits into the Halloween theme that I have been devouring is Netflix's hit series, You. The third season of the show that stars Penn Badgley is so good. It is my favorite one by far. And it features an incredible actress named Shalita Grant in a role that we have never really seen a Black woman play. In the show, she plays Sherry, who is this mom-fluencer, super successful, kind of queen bee of the town. She's a mean girl for sure, at least at first, that's what we think. And she really stirs things up on this show that is about a stalker-turned-murderer and his murdery wife and their new baby. It's a lot. If you haven't seen you, you should definitely check it out. And if you haven't seen any of you, I think season three is worth the investment. Shalita has taken this role and really run with it. Like it's not a main character, but she's definitely elevated the role to be the one that everyone is talking about. I mean, critics far and wide are praising her performance and for good reason. Shalita Grant is killing the game in Hollywood and she's doing it on her own terms. Hey, Shalita. Aside from this third season of You, Shalita also spent four years on NCIS, and she is a Tony-nominated actress. She's also developed her own line of hair care products inspired by the havoc wreaked on her own hair on sets. We'll talk to Shalita about this fantastic role in You and how she's cultivated a career despite some pretty difficult circumstances, certainly a challenging childhood and a ton of perseverance and independence. Wow. So I'm so excited to be speaking with you today. You are making such a splash this season. My goodness. I love that. I love it. I'm like loving all of the feelings people like to spill on Twitter. I am loving all these write-ups like Sherry Conrad is a movement. Okay. Like I love it. I felt it when I was doing it. I love that people are picking up on the these little gifts that I left in the scene. So yes, they really are. People are really reacting to going to be such a showstopper. Yeah. So no, I honestly, like when I got the sides for the audition, I thought I was going to die. So I was like, okay, um, uh, I can take this character like not like too seriously because she went back and then I had the conversation with the showrunner and she was like no like actually you're gonna be the first cage couple but you're gonna live so I very quickly like changed my like focus from the fun campy you know 
that I was thinking to like, why does this woman survive? And so I had to like put on my like acting cap, but still stay naughty because I love to play. I love playing so much. So when I think about scenes and things, I'm thinking about how I can elevate things, right? Like what is the point of this scene and how can I help them reach it? I feel, and I mean, you know, what do I know? But I do kind of feel like the impact that this character is having on the show has a lot more to do with you than how she's written. Like, I think that people are just like, oh my God, who is this? I'm obsessed with her. I hate her. I love her. I mean, sure, it's kind of a B word, right? Ah, kind of. No, she's a total bitch. But the thing that I love is that you're really mad at her for being the best bitch there is. Like, she's so successful. And, you know, I... I love that you said that. Thank you so much. But, you know, for me, I'm just like, I love the audience so much, you know, and I'm just thinking about like as an audience member, because I was a fan of the show before, like as an audience member, like what do I love about this show and how can I bring whatever I got going on to like give people those feelings, you know? So that for me is the gift. And that's why I loved you know, like I said earlier, like all these little Easter eggs I left in those scenes, like the little shit that I was up to, like, I know these women so well, because they've shot on me so much. So to be able to like, play it and like, really like, put a mirror, like, it's my favorite thing, but with love, you know, like, (laughs) because at the end of the day, Sherry's first impression isn't who she is. And I love that I get to make people like they love to hate her, but then they begin to like love her at the end. And that's my favorite thing. (laughs) Yes. And it's also, I think, really reflective of social media personalities. I mean, Sherry is a mom fluencer. She's like very popular on Instagram. And so often people believe that what they see in those little squares are really representative of who someone is and what their life is like. And of course, that's not the case. So to see you portray this character who's in a position like that and kind of subtly peel back those layers and I think make a bigger point of appearances aren't always accurate, I thought was just really poignant. Yeah, it's so true. Like, I think for me, it's, it's kind of the greatest like disappointment for me as a person is that I don't look like what I've been through. So like people assume so many things and they have my entire life. Right. So I had like teen parents, like my mom went to jail when I was five. That's how come I moved to Virginia from Baltimore. Like I'm the oldest of nine kids. Like I didn't grow up with money. I grew up, there was my mom's side of the family that was like nation of Islam. And then, you know, my grandma converted to Christianity. Like there's so much life that I've lived because of where I come from. But like, I would go to these different schools and people would just project a history on me because I never stayed anywhere long enough to like 
really establish relationships and stuff. I went to six different elementary schools. So very young, I was used to being put in different situations and having to like figure out even the education, like differences from school to school, elementary school to elementary school, like within 20 miles, like it can be really dramatically different. And the the kids too can be like wildly different. So I've always been used to people like assuming like, like that I'm like mixed, that I grew up, you know, whatever. I came out of the womb without an accent, right? Like without a Baltimore accent, without a like a country accent, like my family members have. And there are like a couple of kids that just like within my family that like came out like that, like that's just how we talk. So, you know, for my whole life, it's always been like, you know, people projecting something on me and then treating me a certain way based on their own history with whatever they're projecting. So for me with Sherry, yeah, like I love how multi-layered she is because I know what it's like to have like so many layers, but for Sherry, you know, she doesn't live as authentically as I live. Like I'm buck wild in my life because, you know, I agreed a long time ago that what people project onto me is about them and I will not fit into whatever. And that's not my fault, you know? So I just live like, buck wild like today we're doing this tomorrow we're doing like within hours like I'm renovating a 2600 square foot house here in Houston with my girlfriend Jessica Aguilar so like yesterday I'm in like t-shirt I'm I'm launching my e-commerce business so like yesterday I had to do freight delivery so I'm working the the uh pallet jack and like bringing the stuff out like baby girl has layers and within a day I <laughs> I show up for whatever it is I got going on and it can be different by the hour. So for Sherry though, she doesn't live that authentically. She's obsessed with success and for success for women, it's a narrow field. And so that's what she shows when she first meets you. But then when she's put in a glass cage, there are so many layers. So you can only imagine what she's like at home with, you know, Mr. Conrad and the kids, you know, to the point that you were making about the, the snippets of life that these influencers, they know what's sellable. So they give you that, but there's a lot going on. Yeah, absolutely. What, uh, what are some of the assumptions that you feel like people, um, have made about you at first glance? Like you said, they think that you're mixed, like because of your skin color. Yeah. Because I'm light skin, but like my brothers and my, like you're, I'm assuming that you identify as a black person, correct? correct? So, you know, like within our families, like it's shade full, like, it's just like, full of different shades. And, and so it is what it is. But yeah, people assume that I come from money, like my second high school in Baltimore, there was like a rumor, um, like after I was there, like, oh, she she bought her way into the school, you know, but they had no idea that like me and my dad, you know, he just like shows up my dad was shot in his face when he was like 20 something. So he is like, you know, one eye is a little lazy, you you know, he stopped school when he was 12. Like, I, I don't look like, like the girl that comes from that background based on what 
the media like tells us, you know, about poverty that it only looks one way. No, like people make a lot of decisions and they're poor because of the decisions that they make. And it can be a, a wide ranging of like how you look, whatever, generational poverty. Like there are so many things that that contribute to that class. And not everyone is stupid. Not everyone is on drugs. But for my family, that was a lot of the, the issues within my family. But, you know, the things that we project onto poor people, we say that's the cause of why you're poor. When rich people have the same thing, there are a lot of dumbass rich people. There are a lot of crackhead millionaires. Like, you know, like it, it's, it's not really the cause. So again, like those are a lot of the things that people project onto me. Do you think that moving around so much as a kid kind of fostered this knack for acting? Because I'd imagine every time you're in a new place, you could be a new version of you. I think that for me, what was like the, the, the how you draw the line to the acting is that as an actress, like the kind of actress I am, I'm interested in the story. I'm interested in the why, right? And I grew up, most of my family members were children when I was young. So they spilled a lot of details of their lives that kids shouldn't know. But I was like putting two and three together and making up five. And I'm like, oh, that's why that's going like that. Like my doll games, like I was obsessed with playing with dolls. And it was like to act out these crazy stories, you know, just wild life that people were living around me, you know, like, <laughs> oh, I'm not going to tell that story. It's crazy. Spell it, spill it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay. Um, I grew up in the hair salon. My grandma's owned a hair salon since before I was born. So you can imagine, you know, when women are being touched, that boundary goes down and you talk about a lot of like intimate stuff yes. in your life. And at like four, five, six, seven, eight, I was a sponge. Like I was just so like curious, like you know, my family members are so different and, and I'm always curious about why that is and how we're different from other people that we even attract, like the people that would come into the hair salon. We were next to an army base. It's Hair Dreams 2 in Petersburg. I'll give her a shout out um, on Washington Boulevard. And it's right next to Fort Lee. And we would get a lot of soldiers and I would hear all these stories, but you know, women talked about reproductive health. So I learned that an abortion was, you know, like the death of a child, but I didn't know like the process, like, you know, you don't get those like details. Right. So my brother and my sister, I, my sister and I, my mom had like this, this drawer full of condoms. And so it was like full of condoms. And so when she wasn't home a lot, so, you know, we were kids, so we would fill them up with water and they were like slippery, like balloons. So we would play water balloon fights with lubricated condoms. <laughs> like fall on you and you have this grease on you and shit. <laughs> So, and so when I learned about abortions, I would play the abortion game with my sister. And so we would fill a condom full of water and we would tie it off and I would uh, cover it with a face towel and we would like walk around the apartment or wherever we were and like introduce our babies. And then right before we knew my mom was coming home, I'd be like, okay, time to get an abortion. And so we would go to the kitchen and I would stab the condom. <laughs> 
but it was like kids, like kids. But that's that's my how my brain works. Like that, that's my history. Like I just knew a lot of stuff, but I couldn't put it together. And so my childlike brain would like create this story of like how it happened and what it meant. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like you wouldn't know that that was like a common toy for me and my siblings. <laughs> Your eight siblings, Lord have mercy. Yeah. So between my two parents, I'm the only child. Okay. So they all procreated with other people or like, you know, took on other people's kids. And so I was, they were raised like, so all half step and adopted. But we don't so, say that. We don't say that. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Everybody's like family. Yes. So, yeah. And you're from Baltimore originally. Is that right? I was born in Baltimore and then I was raised in Virginia from like five to 15. And then I moved back to Baltimore and in like switch high schools. Um, and I was there for two years and then I moved to New York. Wow. And you went to Juilliard. Yeah. That's why I moved to New York. <laughs> I love talking to black people that went to Juilliard because I just think it's so interesting. Juilliard and Tish. I just feel yeah. like every time I'm speaking to an artist who went to one of those schools, it's just I'm not going to say better. I'm going to say just a different kind of way that you all seem to navigate your careers. It's, it's yeah. you know, um, yeah. so talk to me about like how you even got to Juilliard. Like, how did you know that was a thing? How did you want, know you wanted to go there and what was your experience like there? So, um, in Baltimore, when I was at Baltimore school for the arts, my senior year, my acting teacher was like, I pull me aside after a class and he was like, um, do you want to go to college? And I was like, I mean, yeah, like I thought maybe I'll go into like nursing or something like that. And he was like, no, I think that you should audition to Juilliard. And I was like, what's that? And I knew the name from Save the Last Dance. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> but I didn't, like, I didn't do any research on the Juilliard school. Like, it was just, like, part of a movie. Mm -hmm. um, and so he was like, it's a good school. You should audition. So I auditioned there. And I auditioned to University of the Arts in, like, Pennsylvania. And I auditioned to, like, University of Minnesota. And I got into all three of those schools. But for me, it was about the money. Like, you know, I can't go to school because I can't afford it. Like, I know I can't ask anybody in my family to give me some money yeah. uh, to go to school. So I got into Juilliard and they gave me a full scholarship wow. based on my FAFSA and, you know, the talent, whatever. And so I was like, well, okay, I guess I'll go to this Juilliard school because um, they gave me the most money. And then I got there and during orientation week, there is like a history of Juilliard class that they would have us take. And so so we sat in this class and that's when I realized that I got into like the best school for what I wanted to do. So ignorance is often bliss for me. That was how I was able to like fearlessly like be myself, get the assignment of the audition and doing my best and like demonstrating what I can do. And then like forgetting the rest, because at the end of the day, I wasn't even sure if I would be able to go to these schools because I didn't know if I'd be able to afford it. When you were there, did it hit you? Like, did you feel as equipped as maybe some of the other people who had Juilliard on their vision board since they were four? Yeah, because, you know, I have to say Baltimore School for the Arts really prepared me 
for that level of study. You know, my first high school that I went to, it was a governor school in Virginia. And I thought it was terrible. Like I, I was so disappointed with, you know, the, what I was learning and like the frequency of being able to perform. Like I was like, if you're going to a performing arts school, why aren't we performing? Like, why is it that only the upperclassmen get to perform? And I was, I had so much going on in my life at 15, 14. I was just like, fuck it. I'm tired of this shit. Like I've been working so hard, you know, for so long, like trying to be a good girl. And at that age, that's when I like rebelled. And I started signing myself out of school and hanging out with drug dealers. And just like, that was the, the cycle that I was choosing because, I was just tired of being good for no reason. Like there was no like reward, no change in my life and no change in my energy for what I was doing. So I was like, fuck this shit. Um, and then my mom was like, you need to move to Baltimore to live with your dad's family. And so I moved to Baltimore and I told you my dad stopped school in like in the sixth grade, he was 12. Um, so when I got there, he just assumed that I didn't want to go to school. So I was like walking the other kids to elementary school, cooking. Like I had like my schedule of daytime TV shows. And I look up after a month, I'm like, actually, why am I taking them to school? Like I need to go to school. <laughs> so we like went to Baltimore School for the Arts and asked for an audition. And it, it, it was something that I chose, you know, like that's when I chose it because I knew that, like the acting stuff, I got into one school. There's no reason I couldn't get into another. And then while I was there, I was, the training was so good. And I was such a sponge for like learning and, and these techniques, they were so interesting to me and doing monologues and learning different character stories and the way that people's lives are and brains work. I was hungry for that. Those kinds of, of just a different life than I had, than my family members had, like, that's what I wanted. Yeah. Um, so when I got to Juilliard, my first year of Juilliard was actually easier than I feel like a lot of, a lot of my classmates had it. And I think it was a focus thing too. Like I, by the time I got to Juilliard, I had done so much on my own and, and so much like uh, of relationship building with myself and just getting like super clear and very mature about like where I was going because I knew what my life could look like if I dicked off. So I, I just had this idea of like the audience of one, like all I have to do is please like the inner God in me. And like, I'm good, you know, like, and a lot of my classmates wanted to be good to the teachers. And that's kind of like the backfire, right? Like when you're looking for validation and putting someone else on a pedestal, like you end up not getting what you want. But for the people that are doing it because they got the heart for it and they don't really, they're not, they're less concerned with, you know, an individual, uh, like, so if someone likes me, it was like, did I nail the technique? Like, I don't give a fuck about what you think about me as a person, because you know what? I've seen so many dickhead adults at this point that I know you probably got shit with you too. So 
you're a human, just like I'm a human, but you have something that I want, which is the knowledge and the techniques and the skills. And so that's all I care about because at the end of the day, you're not going to pay my bills when I leave here. Okay. And I had that attitude at like 17 and 18. And it was as a result of the hard life that I had early on it, my confidence was hard earned. It wasn't because I was given everything that I'm like, I can do it. It's the opposite. I'm wondering, like, what does your family think about this success that you're having? I mean, and by the way, everyone listening, like you might be the way that you learned about Shalita, but the, like, she is not new to this. She's Tony Award nominated. What did what were you nominated for Tony for? For a comedy <laughs> for Bonnie and Sonia and Masha and Spike. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right. So you have conquered the theater world. You were kick-ass in Search Party last year on HBO. Everyone loved that performance. It was so funny. Um, and then we see you in this, like I said, like very layered, dynamic, I think probably bigger than the writer's intended role on you. So I wonder what does your family, how are they reacting to all of this? I mean, I... I'm one of those people that don't have a close relationship with my family. And I think that that's okay. I, I hope that we can start normalizing, you know, that choice because not uh, everyone doesn't come from the same relationships. Right. And a lot of us have made the choice that what's best for us is best for us. And that was a choice that I made. You know, that being said, you know, there are like my younger brother on my dad's side, um, you know, I still keep in touch with him. And, you know, we have like a really good, like respectful relationship. And, um, you know, of course, everyone's super proud of me, you know, like even the ones that, you know, I have problems with, you know, at the end of the day, like I made good, you know what I mean? Like, and I never like, you know, had to um, screw anybody over or, you know, I didn't rely on anyone to do it. So, you know, like at the end of the day, there's nothing you can do but to respect it. But I respect if you don't. Um, But yeah, I think that, you know, doing these kinds of roles like search party for search party and um, for you, like the response that the audiences have, you know, that's, that's super powerful that they always want to see more of me. So I like prize that. And yeah, the next roles after this are not about like being everywhere because those are my values. And I think, you know, the response that I got from search party and am getting from you, I'm super happy with because they were within my values. These are shows that I, you know, either watched before I got the audition or after the audition, like binged and was like, I want to be a part of this. And it's a, it's a good result of like, when I love something, I love it, you know, and, and people love to see me do it. They do. We really do. Do you have a desire to be, I think there's a difference between uh, character actors, really, really Mm -hmm. great ones, really popular ones, really successful ones, and celebrities. And I wonder if celebrity is part of your vision board or not. No, it's not. I mean, that speaks to what I just said. Like, you know, I just had a conversation with my manager and agent where I was like, listen, I know that these people are calling, but 
that's not my vibe. And I don't want to be one of those, like I'm an audience member, yo, like I watch stuff. So I got uh, judgments and feelings too. And I want to like stay within my values. And there's so many like super talented actors that like popped on something and they created a character that I absolutely loved. And then they do a run of shows where they're these 2D like walk on like, and I'm like, wow, this person is so full of talent. I wish that there was character development here because I want to see what more they could do with this that I don't like to see it and I know what it's like to be on those sets where you know your creative team is is tamping you down that's not my vibe so if that means that I do two projects in a year over seven I'm totally fine with that I'm so busy like trying to change black women's lives with the four naturals treatment and you know flipping houses with my girlfriend my life is full so I want to spend time doing jobs that I would just I love and are going to bring me love and I'll be happy to promote. And, you know, that's it for me. What you said earlier about your family and, you know, being one of those people who has chosen, I think probably to preserve your own mental health and, you know, boundaries and put yourself first. Sometimes that does come with, you know, cutting off toxic relationships or things that do not serve you. And that takes a lot of guts. And I am starting to see that be normalized more. And I hope that it will be. But it sounds like you kind of went into your career knowing what your boundaries were. And from my research, it sounds like that was kind of the impetus behind this for natural hair care. Like they were jacking up your shit on sets and you were not having it. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'll pick up from jacking up my shit and to the present. Um, my, I'm going to show you. So the fact that I can like wear this hairstyle and it's like legit all my hair. Right. And that was another thing for, for you on Netflix. Like people assume that I had like some kind of like sewing or there's no way. Yes, baby. That's my shit. Okay. There were whole scenes where it was just my hair. We did like some clip-ins here and there we added a ponytail piece like you know fun but I wasn't relying on extra hair to create the look of Sherry yeah right but that's growth uh in more ways than one but um in 2017 I started documenting my hair loss on the show um the first, uh, this first full season, season two, uh, I got a bald spot in the center of my head, traction alopecia from the, uh, sew-ins and getting in water, um, chlorinated water and the production team having this like set it and forget it attitude because it was like a sew-in. So they were like, you don't need maintenance. Like I would ask, you know, to get like fresh braids, like a fresh set because you need to switch it out and they weren't having it. And I think the griot wrote up the hair situation um, on NCIS, like those photos are out there. I mean, I did whole, whole episodes like that. And because, you know, we started season four in August, like I showed you my June photos. So when I got back to work, I was like, not only am I getting off this job, I'm not letting them touch my hair. And I don't really care what I look like at the end of the day. Like I need to get off the show so that I can repair my hair. Um, So in 2019, 
I decided like, hey, I come from the hair salon. I know what licensed cosmetologists know and I know why they make the choices that they make. And it's because of a lack of knowledge. Um, the cosmetology board teaches hair is hair. So, and then they pass out mannequins with type one hair. They, they test on mannequins with type one hair. Even the one service that is arguably for type four or textured hair types, they demonstrate that on a mannequin with type one hair. That is the definition of erasure. So your licensed cosmetologist can go through their entire schooling without ever touching textured hair and you know detangling, all of that. That's learned on the fly. That's not taught. But there is a science that does teach about actual hair and that's cosmetic chemistry. And you go through that when you create products. So I got to researching because I'm super curious and I just decided to lean into that because I believed that I could solve my own problems, right? Like I had solved so many of my problems from my past surely I can solve this problem with a little love attention. And I did, I uh, did a bunch of like research in cosmetic chemistry and then all of these successful non-white hair cultures like India and Ethiopia and Eritrea and learned what natural ingredients they were using and creating what we now know is the four naturals treatment, which is patent pending. It includes the detangling method as well as the henna bun mask treatment and dermatologically tested. So initially it was gonna go into hair salons because I wanted to fill that gap, like change the culture because I saw what one treatment could do for type four hair, but like three treatments like totally changed my life. Like we are getting permanent curl definition. Like I was tired of having to manipulate my hair to see a curl pattern. I was like, I want to just see my curl pattern, but that means that the porosity of my hair has to be balanced. That means that my cortex has to be like properly sealed so that my strands can do the pattern that they normally do, that, that they naturally want to do. And I need something that coats my hair strands and protects it, but can also stick to the hair strand. We all sit with conditioner on our hair, hoping, wishing that it stays on and it'll create some film around it, but it doesn't have the cationic charge to do that. So scientifically, it's never going to do what we want it to do, no matter how much we hope, no matter how long we leave it on. But my cassia deep conditioner does have the cationic charge because of cassia obovata, which is another plant. So what I discovered was that our hair needs plants. Shampoo and conditioner is great for people with type one hair, but for the rest of us, two to four, we actually need something else. And we're hoping that these other products are going to give us what we need, but they can't, but nature can. So the henna mud mask and the cassia deep conditioner it contains plant-based ingredients, the ones we've been looking for. And I have the time and the resources to package it and make sure that you have it. And that's within my values because I started using those and it changed my hair and it's changed other women's hair, black, Mexican, white, they all, all these women in my life use my deep conditioner and have experienced like thicker, stronger hair. It's, it's incredible. And, and this is my gift. This is what I feel I was made to do because of the experiences I've had. Absolutely. You are the best. I'm so excited that I got to speak to you 
today. Um, I feel like there's so much more to know about you and I cannot wait to see what is coming next. Yay. Thank you so much, Courtney. Thank you for listening to Acting Up. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with everyone you know. Please email all questions, comments, and suggestions to podcasts at thegrio.com. Acting Up is brought to you by The Grio, an executive produced by Courtney Wills and produced by Cameron Blackwell. For more with me and Acting Up, check us out on Instagram at actingup.pod. <laughs>